I am permanently deleted from Facebook, at least for the meantime. Fingers crossed I'm supposed to get my account back. Spent a lot of time and money trying to get it back. But uh, the big thing was I had like no way to work for like three days. Yeah. Or at least on the Facebook end. All the email marketing clients and all the other social platforms and everything had no problems with. But as far as Facebook goes, I mean, that's my bread and butter. And you've known that for yeah. probably close to a decade at this point. So, you know, my entire world fall apart. And I think this is a perfect place to talk about it because there's no better adversity that I think a budding professional can run into other than having their entire livelihood taken away from them or the fear of their entire livelihood being taken away from them in the blink of an eye for no reason. Dope. So we're live. Another episode of Adversity King. Special guest today, childhood friend childhood friend or i would say we've known each other for a while and whenever you started to get more invested in the pittsburgh office that's when you and i became closer yeah at least childhood familiarity yes greensburgish so flew out from uh greensburg irwin Irwin area today to uh speak with us and and uh help us out so actually funny story i'll just rip it real quick so this is stephen cromer but he uh, actually placed my ads and, and did my video content that helped me basically recruit my first like hyper successful individual in the insurance industry, Rob Jackson. Yep. So I remember spending a bunch of money and in and, and comparison to what I was spending, it was dwarfed by the return on investment by, by the individual Rob Jackson that I was able to recruit <laughs> through social media ads and, and different things like that. So algorithms and things have changed a lot over time now it seems like you have to jump through so many freaking hoops it's kind of it can get discouraging you know yeah dude you're telling me so you were uh, talking about facebook what happened to facebook so about three weeks ago um well let me let me give you some context and background as to what led up to this so what i believe to be every two years which just so happens to fall about every election season facebook changes their algorithm to be a little bit more rough on people than it would otherwise normally be. And as a result, people were getting pages taken away from them or restricted from advertising. They were losing advertising assets. They were losing access to their accounts. They were, you know, and all of these things without any sort of real justifiable reason, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of the times when Facebook, Instagram, or any of these big tech social platforms have a grievance with someone, and they know what the grievance is. They're not going to be forthright about what it is because they don't want you to be able to appeal it or effectively, you know, get your accounts back. Because once you have it back or you have full control, you can continue to do with it what you want, which the premise of social media is to be social and get a message out there, right? Mm-hmm. So I had been helping somewhere probably north of 80 people over the course of the last two and a half, maybe three months at this point get things that were frivolously restricted or taken away from them back through this portal that I have with Facebook because of how much money I spend. So I'm like one of a handful of people that has the ability to have immediate and direct contact with Facebook reps and, you know, get problems solved a lot faster than going into the normal customer service queue. I mean, you're talking about the difference between what historically had been 24 to 72 hours that is now becoming a month plus for most normal people, right? So you're talking about saving 10 times the amount of time by comparison. That being said, I think Facebook wasn't too keen on how many different accounts I was logging into on my IP address because the portal was tagged to my IP, right? So I could log in on any device on my Wi-Fi as long as it was like a computer 
whether it be laptop, desktop, whatever, you couldn't access this portal through your phone, but it would allow you to get in contact with Facebook's internal team. And because I was getting into so many accounts, I think Facebook believes that my internet service or my IP address at my house was the source of a bot farm because of how many accounts I was mm. accessing from the same place, albeit not through my account. So they have no real evidence, I guess, other than this video. So Facebook, if you're watching this, disregard di disregard it entirely. Disengage. It's purely just a, th a theory that I have. I have no way to prove this, and neither do you. Um, but that being said, I think that there was something in the algorithm security-wise, because my account's been hacked three times this year, too, to where they had told me that my account was locked for security reasons. Yeah. But it just so happens to be as I'm getting a bunch of my friends, their accounts back that they never should have lost in the first place. So, you know, that being said, that was that was kind of what had happened. So I am permanently deleted from Facebook, at least for the meantime. Fingers crossed I'm supposed to get my account back here over the next day or so. Spent a lot of time and money trying to get it back. But uh, the big thing was I had like no way to work for like three days. Yeah. Or at least on the Facebook end, all the email marketing clients and all the other social platforms and everything had no problems with. But as far as Facebook goes, I mean, that's my bread and butter. And you've known that for yeah. probably close to a decade at this point. So that being said, you know, my entire world fall apart. And I think this is a perfect place to talk about it because there's no better adversity that I think a budding professional can run into other than having their entire livelihood taken away from them or the fear of their entire livelihood being taken away from them in the blink of an eye for no reason. Yeah. Right. That's something that you have to learn to either, you know, take the punch and keep swinging or stay down and get out. And we were kind of talking on the way over here. It's kind of like, you know, maybe everybody might be faced with, with something similar if we <laughs> go into a civil war. Yep. So well, I don't watch any news because I have this theory of like, well, if I just don't educate myself on it, I just, there won't be any opportunity for any distractions. Not Absolutely. that it, and, and it's, um, you know, some might perceive it as like a lack of wisdom, but me personally, I, I, my thought process is my proactivity, regardless of what occurs and what happens, I want it to hundred percent of my energy to be focused on building my business right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. But if we do go to any type of wars, a third, uh, World War Three, World War Eight, Civil War, it's inevitable. History repeats mm -hmm. itself. So I, I know war is inevitable. When people are like, you know, world peace and things like that. It's, I'd, I'd love to have world peace and everybody be rich and happy. In fact, it's not but possible. It's not. It's not. It is. It's sadly, it's not possible because there's duality in life. There's with with positive, there has to be negative because their positive doesn't exist without negativity. It's right. like like light doesn't exist. You need the darkness exactly. Yeah. And so my thought is. I'm going to be proactive to my work and my business and the things that I really care about. And if we go to war, we go to war. It's like, what am I going to do? Stop the war? No. You know, it's like I'll per I'm going to, you know, have to participate in some way, shape, or fashion. You know, but at, to the best of my ability, I'm going to keep working. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. So I'm just going to keep right. All the wars we've gone to in the past, it seems individuals have found a way to work. You know, or 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 at least bunk bunk bunker down mm -hmm. and uh, you know sub sub basically just go through the time. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen that a lot with the real estate market between agents, brokers, teams that we work with. And that's a market that we're really trying to aggressively tackle because there's a big market shift happening right now. Homes are staying on the market longer. Prices are coming down, not up anymore. And you're running into people who, and this happens in every industry, through every economy and every stage of life. 
everyone wants to make the most amount of money possible with what they have, but they're also the people who want to spend the least spend to the least. get that opportunity. Yep. Unless and, it's, unless they're, they're selling their own individual object. When right. they're selling their possessions, then it's the most valuable thing in the world. Absolutely, and that's what I'm getting at. So all these people who think they're still riding out this bubble where – you know, okay, the house I bought for $350,000 is now worth $450,000. That train has gone and left. Yep. It's not coming back, at least for a very long time. So whenever you take into consideration, okay, you're not going to make the money that you could have at the peak of the bubble, but you can still maybe make some money. Yep. You're now putting into the frame of reference, okay, I need to have realistic expectations based off of what the market now deems as realistic. Yeah. Because it's whenever people start to get scared and squeamish, you know, rates are going up, people are, you know, slowly bleeding money out because of inflation and other things that unfortunately no one can necessarily account for or prevent from happening. Yeah. But because it's uh, all side effects of a larger systemic issue in this case, you know, everyone buying a bunch of houses because everyone wanted to move during the pandemic to where you had freedom that drove independent and individual markets through the roof. And as a result, all these other places that weren't really developed, they started to get this bubble too, where, you know, home values going up, building there costs more money now, that type of stuff. It's all a domino effect and we've reached the last domino. There's yes. none others that can fall other than setting them all back up and then doing it all over again, which takes time. And that's where the painstaking part of any economy comes into play is that every cause has an effect. Feds are raising rates. People aren't working. I don't know how people are surviving, but in the sense... I literally do not know how people are surviving. It doesn't make any sense. I have zero idea because I, I was like, I, you know, I know, you know, from a business owner to another business owner, it's like... You know, we bring in a lot of gross money, and that affords us a lot of opportunity to do different things. And mm-hmm. even even with that, it's like, oh my god, you know what I mean? This is it's a little tight. So it's like I do not know how people are, you know, living on a fraction of of what it is. You know, absolutely, because and because that's still good money. You know what I mean? It's like, absolutely, it's that's still solid, solid money. And I'm like, I don't know how you're living on a fraction of this. Well, at the end of the day, the things that I think of as far as that point is concerned, and then going back to the real estate thing a little bit. Whenever you as a business owner start to realize what you can make and what your earning potential is, you understand how much further that potential reaches, right? And at that point, you start to take more into consideration, how little do I need to reach that mark, right? Because you put the business first, not so much yourself. Yes. Like for me, my personal living expenses every month, probably sub sub $6,000, inclusive of my car payment, my rent. Yeah. utilities, food, all that shit, less than six grand. Yeah. And on a shit month, we're doing no less than 50K a month in net revenue. Yes. So whenever you're looking at how you can absolutely shoot for the moon, right, then you realize, okay, that's... And, wh- and being in a tech-based company, there's not a lot of overhead expense. No. So I don't know, like, uh, how big... Do you have a, a big staff? So right know. now we have a team of six... As far as solid team members, and then we're trying to scale our, our sales team because, yeah. you know, now with this real estate offer, we're trying to get people who are specifically knowledgeable about the real estate market to sell that yeah. and then leverage their pre-existing networks the same way that, you know, we talk about the insurance stuff. Would and your biggest expense be your staff then? It's between staff and ad spend. Now, given the circumstances at the moment. I thought ad spend would be on the client. So for our own ads, right? Okay, so we're yeah, running ads sense. to grow our business. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, that's an expense in and of itself, but it always pays for itself. Yes. And that's the value of knowing your target and audience. And that's just short term. Like right. short, you can get a, you pretty much get an immediate return on ad spend. 
but I think it's I don't I don't think it can truly be measured on the long term value of building up the like the identity capital of, of a business and of an individual of like I mean the the returns are exponential of like you know when Grant Cardone used to be a name that nobody knew of mm-hmm. and so it's like I don't know how much money the dude spent on you know time money energy and resources into building up his name to where it's like there's hun- like it, it probably cost. You could easily spend a hundred thousand dollars just to get on a podcast or something with him. So it's like it's an invaluable, absolutely you know, commodity for you to just put all your money into social media. Everything you have right now, I think, you should go into social media. One hundred percent. And this is where that kind of uh, skews back into the real estate stuff. The way that we sell it, and we're not even necessarily trying to sell it. We're purely trying to educate first. If they sell themselves and feel like what they heard is what they need, yeah, so be it. Because, and I say that to pretty much every prospect that I talk to. I tell my team. If you're going to talk to them about something, educate first, because people need to understand that we understand their problems. And that's where consumer psych has become the most pivotal thing in understanding and how I've been able to grow my business compared to so many other people who think, okay, um, say, for instance, there's a company that one of my mentees works with. It's a hair growth oil, right? So those type of people probably have tried Rogaine. They maybe have considered plugs or, you know, the uh, spun blood to inject it into your Mm -hmm. scalp to stimulate new follicle growth. Yep. Those are all super high ticket or super low ticket. The problem is everyone has tried at least one or multiple of them and left without the result they want, right? Yep. And that is a direct result of something that is hurting their ego. So, yeah, you can go ahead and target people interested in hair supplementation, hair growth, uh, remedies, at-home hair growth stuff, whatever. Cool. Yeah, that's very face value. That's what everyone's targeting. That's why your cost per result is 10 times what it should be because you're not doing the deeper due diligence as to what drives people to even want to consider one of those options, let alone multiple, right? If you could sell something to someone based off of knowing they have a need for it. That's easy. That's like selling anything. You need wheels. I'm a car salesperson. Here's your wheels. What can you afford? Right. Yeah. You're just connecting the dots. Whereas with this, you're mapping out the whole board. Mm-hmm. Because if you know that, you know, it probably strokes your ego a little bit every time you go into the mirror during, uh, you know, piss break at work or, you know, you're at home washing dishes or something and you see, you see your reflection in the window above the sink, whatever. And you, you think to yourself regularly, did my hairline go a little further back today? It looks a little different shape. Yeah. That eats at you subconsciously all day. And then when you're reminded of it, that's whenever it comes to the forefront of your mind and you start to seek solutions. But it's that subconscious thing that eats at you all the time that drives the purchasing decision. Yeah. You wouldn't look for a solution if you didn't feel bad about yourself or feel like there was a problem present that you could resolve through either your own means or through the, you know, the implementation of a per, uh, professional solution yeah. that requires outside help. So if you can get people based off of those emotional ego harming or ego stroking sensations, you can sell to the moon and you can sell super cheap. But that's the thing. People don't think about that. So like in life insurance, right? The best angles to get people on are you have a family to protect. And in the event that you can't protect them, the least you can do is equip them financially Yeah. or alternatively, um, you know, maybe you need an investment vehicle for retirement and savings. And this is a way that you can stash some cash away tax-free and you have a means to at least borrow against that throughout the maturity of the life insurance policy or at the very end, you know, you have your cash value. Yes. There's a hundred other things that you could do with that. You could say, you know, if you want, I don't know, a lake house by the time you're 45, 50 and you want to borrow against your life insurance policy and then you let the little bit left that you put in there mature, 
that's a good way to do it. And then that way, you know, you have a fallback if you need that to do it. You yeah. can earn, obviously, more income. But say you want $500,000 by the time that fully matures, it only costs you 320 350 bucks a month, something like that, somewhere yep. in that ballpark. So why not get people when you know the opportunity is good, knowing what their goals are now? Because yeah. it doesn't matter if they change. They can always find another way to spend the money. But what's going to sell them is what do they want here and now that they don't have that you can sell them or paint a picture of them acquiring it over more time. Absolutely. Now, let's just jump from all the marketing and everything like that and in just the world news of wars and everything. Let's jump. Uh, let's jump into growing up. So what was growing up for you like? It was different. Um, so I was born in Venezuela in 1998, and that was when if shit wasn't bad, it was about to get way worse. Um, right after my brother was born, we left and we moved to Florida like every typical Latin person does. Yep. And uh, we were there for about two, two and a half years. And that was great. You know, childhood for me wasn't ever really difficult. And if I had any difficulty, it was probably in being in, you know, the greater Pittsburgh Do you have a dual area. citizenship? So technically... If I'm correct, don't quote me on this. I know I at least have three, if not four. So because I was born in Venezuela, I have a Venezuelan passport. Because I have Chilean relatives, I think I have a Chilean passport. I have a German passport, and I have an American passport. Now, what all nationality are are you then? What's like your dad and mom? So my mom is Italian and Eastern Blocky, Slovak, Polish, whatever. And my dad is German and Latin. So how'd they meet? So my mom was the head of the epilepsy unit at the Cleveland Clinic at the time. Yeah. My dad's younger sister had epilepsy as a kid. And not to get into the weeds as far as how that affected their family too much, because that's not my laundry to air. But my grandmother and my dad brought his little sister to the States for treatment because this was, you know, the place that had the best treatment for her problem in the world. That's how my parents met. So my mom was responsible for coordinating the treatments and whatever for um, my aunt at this point, and that's how they met. So, and so you were born in Venezuela, moved to mm-hmm. Florida, and then what was the Florida like? When did you come back to PA, or when did you go to PA, I should say? So there was a step in between. So we were in Florida, and we had lived in two different places, for like one place for a year, another place for a year and a half. And then we moved to Wilmington, Wrightsville Beach area in North Carolina. It's like an hour north of mm-hmm. Myrtle Beach. And we were there for about three and a half, four years. And what was, was all the moving for? So a lot of the time it was for either work opportunities, either for my mom or my dad. So when my parents came back to the States, my mom had the opportunity to effectively get the same job at the Cleveland Clinic in Florida. Yeah. So that was an easy in for her. Uh, and then at that point in time, my dad was, I honestly forget what my dad was doing at the time, but whenever we moved to North Carolina, my mom transitioned into pharmaceutical sales, which is where I get a lot of my you know, sales prowess from. And I'll get more into that later. But as far as what my dad was doing, at that point, he worked doing logistics for a big chicken slaughtering company. I want to say it was called the House of Rayford, if I remember correctly. I might be mistaken. Um but I don't remember what else my dad was doing at that point in time. And then whenever we left North Carolina, my mom had got another job offer about seven, eight months before we had left. And the greater Pittsburgh territory opened up. And she was actually born in Blairsville. So mm. like about 45 minutes from Greensburg. Yeah. So a lot of her, two of her siblings living around the area, 
her other sibling lives in Orange City, Florida, which is like 20 minutes outside of Orlando. So she wanted to come back, be around family. They get affected by Hurricane Ian, is it? I don't know. I haven't talked to my Uncle Steve in probably a couple months, one-on-one at least, but I'm sure that there's messages somewhere buried in the 1400 that I have talking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, but as far as uh, all of the moving, that's it was predominantly for jobs, and my mom got this way better pharmaceutical sales job back in an area that she was familiar with around family because that was like the one thing that we never really had much of growing up. We didn't have a big support system the other places that we had lived because whenever we were in South America, my dad's family was always around. Then we moved to Florida. No one was really around. North Carolina, no one was really around. We liked living in those places, but they didn't have that support system that I guess, and I say I guess because I don't know exactly how other families are, but I know a lot of my uh, relationships, whether they be with friends, exes, my current girlfriend, so on and so forth, you know, I see how tight knit their families are and how they're always together, regardless of how far apart they are. Yeah. And I never really had that yeah. because of how all over the place my family was. So how old are you when you moved back to PA or moved to PA? So my first day of school was December 1st of second grade. So I was probably eight at the time. So if I had to guess, it was probably 2006. And what school district? Latrobe. Latrobe. Mm-hmm. And then did you graduate from Latrobe? Yes. And then what was the whole school process like for you growing up? The highs and lows? <laughs> I fucking hated school. Yeah. I hated it so much. I loved the conversation with the teachers and everything because a lot of the good ones knew that I was intelligent. I just didn't care. Yeah. And obviously we're, we see where we're at now. Yes. I mean, I know your previous school experience, I'm sure anyone who way, listens to this Probably way worse than yours. I had to force intelligence. Like for me, I, you know, my intellectual abilities, I feel like are still a fraction of yours because you'll be grammatically correcting me all the time. I'm like, hey, does this look right? I'll send shit to you because <laughs> I feel like verbally I think I sound way better than like if I send you a text, you're like, this dude's still stupid. You mm. know what I mean? Where it's like you've always you've always been a, a very uh, intellectually well-rounded individual whatever conversation or something we're talking about was like me I, I gotta force read like I gotta read two hours a day just to try to catch up to people well I really appreciate that but I can also say that I've seen you grow a lot in the last five or six years that we've known each other yeah. very well so I can't say that you haven't at least grown in that regard. yeah thank god yeah <laughs> i've been reading for five years i oh fuck god <laughs> i yeah. fucking grew a little bit absolutely but kind of back to the school thing i would get in trouble i was always a little bit more of the class clown i didn't really care care about what i said i always lacked a filter which for better or worse was either really funny really bold or really stupid yeah uh there was never really a balance of any of those it was just whatever yeah. you know schizophrenic thought i had at the moment was yeah, yeah. And uh, I think I got in a fair amount of trouble myself. Not awful, uh, but still I, I would but get enough. in trouble. Yeah. yeah, just an, enough to know what trouble was. Yes. You know, but otherwise, you know, really the, the problems that I had in school was either being the scapegoat for a lot of people. So, you know, anything that anyone else would do, I w- it would immediately get thrown on me. And then I would have to think on my feet as to how to get out of it, which also kind of helps the whole sales things now. So mm-hmm. as far as like the bullshit dickheaded things that other people would do and say and whatever and kind of throw me in the mix on whenever I didn't necessarily need to or should have been involved in it. I guess I came out better for it, even having to deal with some of the repercussions and whatnot of that. I played a lot of sports. I mean, I played soccer for like 16 years growing up. Played lacrosse for my sophomore and junior year of high school. 
did a lot of like pickup sports, basketball, stuff like that, but never, if it wasn't soccer or lacrosse, I really wasn't playing competitively. Was there a highlight of your childhood, like a, a memory that you were most fond of all the way up until graduating high school? Hmm. Up to that point in my life, I think the thing I was most fond of was knowing who I was at such an early age. And yeah. I know that sounds like a kind of bullshit answer, but I look at where I'm at now compared to some of the people I haven't seen in years and where they're at. Yeah. And I have to be honest in saying I could not be more appreciative of having a good read on myself. I at think such our an general area has a very small, like that whole, like, I don't know if you'd call it a metropolitan area in regard to like Greensburg, like all the yeah. surrounding cities and different things is just, uh, it's got a very small, like a very tr- like typical small town syndrome yeah. of just sucked in and absorbed into working at UPS or... Mm-hmm. I don't know what else. All the people same do. bullshit. People go to Dino's. Yeah, um, I don't know any other jobs other there that other than like UPS or like working at the mall or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was, and it still is very much like that. Yeah, which I don't mind in a couple ways because of the fact you know I work from home. I have people that are local that work for me, and I have people in different states that work for me. Yeah. So a lot of it's online, but as far as the people that need to be in person, the people that I would say matter most as far as getting tangibles done are close um you know other than that i'm trying to think you know we have lauren in wisconsin and she does a phenomenal job keeping on uh tabs with our clients and things like that but as far as like the systems and the kind of nitty-gritty stuff you know there's a friend a family friend of mine uh in my family's you know he started working for me probably close to a year ago now he's a college student he understands so much now and i could not be more appreciative of uh, Alex and everything he does because as far as someone like myself, right, I knew I had to learn something that other people my age had no idea even existed in order to get ahead. And we've been able to kind of do that, I think, for him effectively in many ways, maybe not so effectively in others given that, you know, you're balancing a schedule between college and this and, you know, having a life, that type of stuff. But ultimately, you know, the thing, back to your question as far as what's the fondest memory I have as being a kid – I think it was purely just the sake of recognizing that what was the normal expectation for most was not for me. And how old do you think you were when that happened? I was 14 at that time because I was in 10th grade. Or no, 14, I wouldn't have been in 10th grade. I would have been in 9th grade. Um, That being said, I had the realization that I could not tolerate being anybody's bitch. Yeah. I just couldn't. And at that point in time... I was starting to look into really low overhead ways to start making money, and I started doing websites and SEO and stuff like that. And, you know, that started panning off, but it didn't come without its fair share of problems. I would have to, you know, do cold calls with a voice changer because no 30 to 60-year-old business owner is going to want to work with a 14-year-old to build their website or whatever. Yeah. So I'd purposefully deepen my voice, and I have never had a grammar or vocabulary issue yeah so i can speak eloquently and i've always been able to from a very young age and i I attribute a lot of that to my parents always talking to me like an adult yes but at the same token i knew that just getting this little extra unnecessary friction out of the way was going to make a huge difference and it did yeah so come the time you know i got to high school you know i was probably making four to five thousand dollars a month at that point in time which 
all things considered, for someone in high school making, you know, 50, 60 grand a year. And, yeah, in our area, that's a millionaire. Yeah, especially at that age. <laughs> in high school with no, like, no overhead expense, essentially. I mean, you're still at home. There's nothing to worry about. But you so. have a computer. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And I food. Mean, and food. And that was it. And Outside uh, of what your family already provides. So absolutely. Like, you know, I had a hand-me-down car. I was paying for gas. And otherwise, you know, the, the stupid bullshit stuff I wanted, like the sneakers, the clothes, all that stuff. Yeah. Which, like, you know, I had a pair of the original Jordan ones, the breads, uh, the Royals, the blue ones of those, and the mochas that came out a couple of years ago, and I sold those the other day. I was like, they're, they've been collecting dust on shelves for, like, mm. a year, year and a half at least. Yeah, yeah. Why spend, why let that money sit there? Yeah. Like, it's so dumb. I have other things that I have interest. Now, that's the thing that, obviously, you and I both acknowledge. Yeah, as the whips. Definitely the cars, but as far as... Um, as you get older, your priorities change. Yeah, and for absolutely. as much as I'm at home, I dress comfortably like this yes. pretty much every day unless I have to go out and meet with people in person that are a little more uptight. Yes. Uh, I, I spend it on tech for business. I spend it on ads for growth. And I spend it on cars so that I can enjoy my trip to the gym in the morning and whenever I go to get Starbucks or have to run to the grocery store later throughout the day. Yes. So what about your worst memory growing up? What was the hardest thing you had to go through growing up? Oh, fuck. There's, there might be two or three that are almost arguably so bad that I wouldn't even think to mention them here. Obviously, we can talk about it later if you want. But as far as, like, one that really stood out to me that sucked in general, just as, a, as far as a premise goes, is just betrayal. Mm-hmm. Just absolute genuine betrayal. And I actually, uh, I had dinner yesterday evening with a buddy of mine who I played soccer with in high school. And I haven't seen him in probably at least three, if not four years. And he's someone who very driven, very self-motivated, always looking to make money and that type of thing. And he does uh, robotics engineering. Mm. So as someone who, uh, Jared's 26 or 27, if I remember correctly. Um, so Jared, if you hear this and I get it wrong, don't hold it against me. But, uh, you know, he's making a nice six-figure salary. He's very proud of his new car that he just got, and he is trying to establish a sense of peace for himself. You know, I, then I look back at all the other people who, you know, kind of shit on me for no reason or were jealous. Or I mean, there's things that happen in life that you will never have an explanation to, and I have to tell people close to me in my life that that's just the way it is sometimes. Sometimes shit just happens with no rhyme or reason. Yeah. None at all, and there will never be an answer, so it's not worth fixating on finding an answer if it's never guaranteed. Yeah, it's external. Absolutely. So all you can do is control what you can control, right? Yes. So whenever, you know, I would let the betrayal and whatnot eat at me. It did. And that was the problem. I didn't block it out. I let it consume me. And at that point, you know, it was starting to create setbacks and shifts in my mental health and the way I would think. And I was like, letting this eat at me makes me feel worse. And when I don't let it eat at me, I feel better. Why not just stop letting it eat at me? Yeah. Stick with the better. Absolutely. So I would stop people from walking all over me like the way they used to i would give people the benefit of the doubt once and after that that was all they were afforded yep so at that point you know you give people the opportunity to show their true colors once and once you see them for what they are yeah it's like that saying fool me once shame on you and fool me twice shame on me that's 100 percent correct just don't let it have don't let it go all the way to shame on me yeah you know fool me once you're done absolutely absolutely Yes. Yeah. Now, is you did you do college or you went? To yes. Your- so I went to a uh, University of Pittsburgh branch campus. It was like four minutes from my house. Pitt of Greens. Yep. 
Peter Greensburg? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so did you get a four-year or a two-year degree? Four-year. Four-year. So you got a bachelor's in? I have a bachelor's in business management and a minor in psychology. How was that experience? So I really thought I was going to hate Pitt at Greensburg because it was, you know, small town college. But then, you know, after the first semester, I was like, you know, honestly, this isn't that bad. I don't live in what feels like a jail cell with some stranger. I don't know. Um, I don't have to eat the shitty campus food. I have the ability to work on my business and not really let that impact my sociability or whatever because I wasn't really on campus much. Yeah. I started to make a lot of friends and whatnot, but it was one of those things where it's like, I'm friends with you in class and when I'm out, I'm out. Like yeah. that, you, you were, if there were people that I hung out with outside of class, I had to have really liked you. And if at that point I didn't get the opportunity, that doesn't mean I wouldn't want the opportunity. However, it's one of those things where it's like, what am I prioritizing? Getting to know more people who at the end of the day may or may not have a lasting friendship or relationship with me mm-hmm. or alternatively put it into my business, which I have total control over that will generate me some sort of stability, financially, peace of mind, or otherwise. Did I want to jump back to Latrobe real quick. Did Latrobe mm-hmm. ever figure out that hazing incident? I remember hearing about that. The wrestling one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, what is, do, do, are they even allowed a wrestling team anymore? So I believe they are, and actually I know where the kid lives. Uh, the one that received yeah. the broom? Mm. <laughs> it was a broomstick, right? It was. It Christ. Was. So for those, That's so horrible. For those lacking context there was so horrible there was a horrendous hazing incident that happened at the school that i went to years after i left and uh, i mean that i feel so sorry for that poor kid he's scarred for the rest he went to a totally different district there's a huge lawsuit with uh, latrobe and all that stuff i don't know if it ever settled or not but uh yeah that kid lives like less than a mile from where my parents live is he even is he a good wrestler obviously not (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) <laughs> he should have been a pole dancer. Yeah. Um, no, that being not to make light of a really shitty yeah, situation that sucks, for that poor kid, dude. but yeah, I I don't know much about it other than the fact that I do know that there is a wrestling team and a lot of the coaches at got, that time they got fired, huh? They got fired, but a lot of those coaches were like a year or two ahead of me in school, uh, so th- they were people I knew. And then for them to, you know, someone my age now, given I know I'm not most people my age, but for someone maybe a year or two well, years, what older you permit, than, you promote. You know what I mean? So regardless of whether they, you know, participated or encouraged, Mm -hmm. if if you permit it and it's under your watch, Mm -hmm. essentially you're promoting it under your leadership. So it's like... Absolutely. You you, you almost would consider registering them as... Sex offenders. sex offenders. Yeah, I don't know to what... It's a child. Well, here's the other problem. It was people who were minors that actually did it. That's that's the problem. Not to get the legalities and getting in the weeds of that obviously comes with diminishing returns. But as far as overcoming that as an adversity, that's horrible. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Prayers to the family and uh, any individuals that might might uh, come across and, you know, hear this. I don't even know who that kid is, but I wish him absolutely yeah. nothing but the best. Keep and your if, head up. Keep your head up if you ever need anything yeah, given. I don't know who you are. Yeah. Feel Obviously, free to reach you can. Out. Yeah. Just send me broomstick to my DM and then I'll know. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to reach out. <laughs> feel free to reach out in all seriousness. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you can make light of the situation as well. Um, you know, despite what you went through. Well, so so uh, go back to biggest adversities. One of the three things I wouldn't mention was something, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But it was it was something, e- I don't want to say eerily similar, because it was not 
anywhere remotely close, but yeah. it was something that happened at sixth grade camp that will stick around with me for probably the rest of my life. Was but, it Latrobe? Yeah. See, Latrobe, when you get towards that, like, country, like, you that extra country, they're just, they're just too uh, rough, you know what I mean? Yeah. In a weird way, you know what I mean? There's a difference between being rough and then just being, like, that, like, like, man, dude, leave your cousin alone. Like, that, that's your cousin. <laughs> well, that, that, that's the thing, though. It's like, I understand kids being kids and kids being rough. But, like, say, for instance, in that poor kid's case, that crosses a line. Yeah. What yeah. happened to me, albeit, you know, people get kicked in the balls and shit all the time or, you know, they get hazed, whatever. That type of stuff, yeah, you're a kid. You don't necessarily know what you're doing. Yeah. But you don't know what health repercussions comes with that oh my god yeah oh my god you know you rub you you could rupture a testicle you know if you accidentally drown someone or break someone's arm or some shit like given i've never had anything be that bad but like ultimately one you don't know what physical harm you're doing and two you don't know how it's going to stick with someone or how that's going to manifest in their head yeah because that's i don't want to say how bad kids or bad habits form but when you feel sorry for yourself, the amount of shit that you would think that you would never do that you start to do yeah. or can start to do really, really increases. That's why I think every every kid, like I, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be a huge advocate for, for my kids on like doing like some type of self-defense as, as soon as they can. Yeah. Like, I'm never going to push my kid to fight anybody. But, you know, especially in this dirty, dirty world, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If, you know, it's like I've got a, I got a daughter, I got a, you know, whatever, young a, a son. And it's like. I, I want them to be at least physically capable of, and not that, you know, either of us weren't at a young age, but I didn't really have that. I remember I got uh, I got punched in the face, I think, fourth grade or fifth grade. And I got punched in the face eighth grade, too. But I got, like, snuck eighth grade. But, like, fourth grade, like, I just didn't know what I was doing, and I, like, cut in line or something. Mm-hmm. And this kid just, like, twisted my arm behind me and, like, bam, punched me <laughs> in the face. And it was embarrassing. Yeah. My dad beat me for it, too. He was like... You're never gonna, you know, let the family name be embarrassed like that again. Beat the shit out of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And me, and we immediately, you know, got into boxing and different things like that. But I think it's, I, I think you one, I, no, no need to teach violence, but absolutely you need to teach how to respond to it because it's inevitable. It's like war. It's like uh-huh. it either they're gonna see it or it's gonna happen to them. And I think that's something where it's like, I guess it's you know, with with, with uh, the young man that experienced that, you you were in wrestling, but. Uh, yeah, but I mean, sometimes shit happens. You know, it's like especially it's like the way the world's going now. It's like, I think things. I don't think the world is worse than it's ever been because I feel like it has w- to have been worse, just not in our lifetime. Yeah, and, and and ultimately, I just think the only thing that's different is is we all like two hundred years ago, people just didn't have access to the like the social broad span of like within an instant we like you two, can eight billion with people, people yeah. around the world. With the same effort that it takes to text someone across the room. Yeah, it's it's insane how everything can be broadcasted. So I'm like, is it really that worse? Or are we just able to just immediately communicate everything that's going on? Absolutely. Like simultaneously. And the means of communication has changed astronomically. I mean, you think back to the first printing press and newspaper. (sighs) That was the first way people really got stuff out and about without having to literally take all of the effort to amass a crowd and hope everyone in that crowd can hear you. Yep. And then it went from that to, you know, radio and then television and now social media where you have... People go on Instagram live and murder people and kidnap people and it's like... 
Yeah. There was that there was that dude in Memphis that was on Instagram Live shooting people. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. You, you saw that, Aiden? This dude in <laughs> over there. <laughs> oh, I look over to like get like another head nod. <laughs> but this dude, you see him in Memphis shooting people? It was just like it was a couple or, weeks ago. He was just like. Oh, I don't know, but that that reminds me of like. But then you got to think of like one of the worst mass shootings in time. The Kent State shooting. Yeah. You know what I mean? So what was that? The 60s, 70s? Because that was, a, was that a protest to the Vietnam War? It had uh, to have been then. Had to have been somewhere around there. I, I don't know enough about it to speak on it I'm accurately, the, yeah. but like Columbine and all these other school shootings that have occurred since school shootings were a thing. I mean, there, there used to be like an equal understanding amongst heinous people. Like you don't go to schools, you don't go to churches. And now yeah. it's no holds barred. How bad was that that Texas school shooting with the police officers that just stood by? It's just so like it's so like the contradictory prob- to like you think of Texas and you think of like man everybody down there is ready to go guns blazing, especially the like the law enforcement. You think of cowboys, absolutely. And here is the inherent problem: those people that have a job are told what their job is, and it changes every day. And whenever I promised myself I wasn't going to get really into politics on this, but as far as like that's inevitable, it's a podcast. That's what podcasts are. <laughs> they should be called political gas. Yeah, literally. But as far as like knowing what the truth is anymore is very difficult because it's so easy to put anything out there to where anything can also be inherently hyper misleading. Yes. And yeah, that's, that's, that's another reason I won't even tune in anything because what sources are credible now because COVID-19 was supposed to kill everybody and old people that were already dying passed away. Now I interviewed a lady today that lost a few people mm-hmm. to COVID. So I'm not saying it didn't kill people due to it being itself, but we broadcasted this thing. We made vaccines mandatory, mm-hmm. and and now it's like, oh, nothing matters. It's just like we just forgot it. Yeah. And then I look at all of the the big pharma companies and the profit margins, and looking at how they performed, and the individuals that that were was it Pelosi, and looking at like her investments uh-huh. into these companies, and I'm like, what? What the. F- <laughs> You couldn't have called me? Yeah. I would have invested. And so there's actually a Twitter, I believe, that uh, follow all, all of Nancy Pelosi's yes. stock trades. And uh, I'm sure that just by following that, you can increase your net worth if you have the ability to make the trades that she does. Yes. And not to kind of belabor uh, a limiting point here, but all of those people in positions of power are always going to use it for themselves first and everyone that they control second. I'd love to put them on like a and, – and I say this and people say they are 100% commission, but I'd love to put them on like 100% commission and, and they get paid in direct correspondence to – they get a jurisdiction. Like, hey, look, uh-huh. you're in charge of this area and how well this area does economically, socially. Well, that's what happened with like Florida and Texas during the pandemic, right? That's where the least amount of restrictions were. That's yeah. where the least amount of limitations on business was. People like freedom. They love freedom. They love freedom. So the money's going to flood to freedom. Right. Because if you can't buy freedom, you can at least escape to it. Yes. So, you know, that's in large part circling back to the real estate stuff. That's why the markets are shifting now. And this is what I'm telling a lot of agents because I'm speaking to more and more agents every day or brokers or team leads, whatever, that, you know, oh, I've had seven deals put on hold this week because people who are trying to sell are either waiting out the market or not willing to take the offers already pres- uh, presented on the table that are now fair market value but might not have been a year ago. And the people who are looking to buy a home are waiting because they know prices are coming down. Yeah. So we're at this weird limbo stage there where I have to constantly remind them, like, look, and this is something for everyone 
in any market that involves the sale or production of a good or service. Anytime there is blood in the water, that does not mean everyone is dying. It means that a lot of people are getting weeded out and a very select handful of the best of the best are eating everything. Everything. And if you want to be the best, you need to start to eat and jump in the water. This is the best time to get rich because to break it down for an individual like me, a little more simple minded over here, it's, you know, if you broke, broke it down, it's, it's very simple of these, this is going to be a, a short term period of, even if it's four to six years or eight years of it's still short in the grand scheme of history, short in the grand scheme of stay plugged into your endeavor, your business, whatever it is you're mm-hmm. pursuing. And on the flip side, when you come out of this, your returns are anywhere from 10 to a thousand to just completely just immeasurable. You know what I mean? It's, it's amazing. Come out multi, multi-millionaires. Absolutely. And here's what happens. When you stay consistent, when everyone else doesn't, your consistency becomes your best strength. Yes. And that's why consistency is the biggest thing that's told to every sales team. Yes. That's why consistency is the most important function of any business, any routine, yep. anyone who wants to make something of themselves. Because being in a rhythm, and I think I heard a snippet of Simon's video or something yeah. a couple days ago or something like that, given I don't see all this stuff all the time, but yeah. I was happy I saw that. You know, he was like, it, whenever you're young and you're hustling and you're trying to come up and make something of yourself, it's not so much about striking a work like life balance. It's about work now, play later, yeah. and don't find a balance, but find a rhythm. Find a rhythm. Find a pace that you can maintain for 20 years. Go on a 20-year run, you're going to get rich. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So many people go on like a 20-hour run and, and they didn't get rich and they're like... They're upset. Yeah, they're upset. They, they think it's a scam. They think it's a scheme. Whether it's they, they go out and build something themselves like mm-hmm. your, like yourself or an individual like me that gets into a, a sales company, a sales-based industry, and, and there's already infrastructure built for you. you know, I think that's easier. I didn't have to go out and build a product. You didn't have to reinvent the wheel. You just made it spin faster. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, like if you can't, if you can't figure out something that's already been built and proven, Mm -hmm. don't, don't, don't even try to create your own company. You can't even figure out somebody that built a company and created a sales opportunity or franchise opportunity. Like I have, uh, there's there's no there's no shot bucko you know what i mean and that's the biggest thing is like everyone wants everything done for them because no one wants to work yes news flash to those of you that find yourself in that camp either abrasively or totally understandingly in the sense of either that rubs you the wrong way or it hits you right where it needs to yep nothing worth doing is going to happen to you you need to work to have it happen for you yep so you know, there's there's a reason sweat equity is such a important key to starting I've, anything. I, and I've been emphasizing more intellectual sweat equity, and I, and I don't mean being a important. genius. I mean just being smart to whatever industry or area of your life that you're applying yourself to. It's like, you know, it, it, it's almost like if we were to go build houses and they provided us resources to build the houses and they said you know, you can use hammers and nails, but you also can use a whole team and you can use power tools. Mm-hmm. Shout out Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> and uh, with those power, and it's like, I use the power tools and you use the hammer and nails. It's like, I'm going to get the job done way faster and I'm going to be able to produce more with utilizing a team. I'll be able to teach, develop, duplicate. And my output, the, the quantity is going to generate quality. Mm-hmm. A combination of both of those things. And, and especially in an, indus- in an industry where it's like, it's production based, right. you know? So it's like, so people get so caught up and, and over glorifying that they're working hard when they realize like 
when the, somebody working smart is going to work half as hard as you and make 10 times the money as you. Right. And they might even work more hours, but they're working at a pace that allows them to be effective. Effective. Absolutely. And intentional. I think it's a combination mm. of workplace intelligence and intentionality. Those two things combined you run circles around somebody that's working hard. It's mm-hmm. like, you're not working hard, dude. I mean, you showed up for 12 hours and, yeah. and you just said the same thing over and over again on the phone that I told you not to say and then blamed it on me, the resources, mm-hmm. the company, the opportunity. When when I said, sit here and focus on generating referrals because that type of resource is going to close four times more mm-hmm. than the average resource. You yep. know what I mean? And I, I said, dress nicely because people are going to, you know, see you as a 19 year old and your credibility on a zoom call is going to go, your, your, you know, close ratio is going to go up another 10%. All these little micro factors that people just avoid. Oh, I showed up. I'm just going to show up for five years and I'm going to, I'm going to make just as much as Tristan's made and Simon and we're, you know, we're going to blow this deal out of the water. It's like, no, good luck. Yeah. It's not, it's not how it works. And yeah, good luck. at the end of the day, being somewhere doesn't mean you were being something. Yes. Right. And th- I think of this kind of very basic analogy for this. It's like you could be laying down railroad ties, right? Yeah. Piece of wood, couple big nails. If you're using the same amount of effort to swing that sledgehammer into the dirt beside the nails, does that mean you're doing anything? No. You, no, you're wasting energy. Yeah. Because what you're doing, albeit with good intention, is not leading anywhere near or to the outcomes that you're actually wanting through using that energy. Yeah. Energy and time are the best two resources anyone has. And if you know how to use your energy efficiently and you know how to use your time efficiently, you are going to create things that add value. Absolutely. Because if you're using those two things well... You're not wasting them. And as long as you're doing things with intention, which is the biggest thing I hype and harp on to all of my clients, all of my friends, all of my family, and uh, you know my team and the people that work with us, doing things with intention always gets you a step closer because you know what direction you're heading in. It's like having a goal and having it be on a map and then saying, I want to get to that goal. Yeah. But you have no idea where the fuck you are. Yeah. How do you know the most efficient way to get there? You need to do it with intention. You need to figure it out. And then reverse engineer it step by step. So if I'm going to be close to my goal, that means I would have done at least this first. Yes. And then the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And then you connect the dots, and now you have a linear game plan as to how to go from where you're at to achieving your goal at a timeline that you can set the pace for. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Fire. So did you watch Jeffrey Dahmer? I have not yet, unfortunately. Between uh, how You've definitely it. seen all the memes. I've seen some of the memes, but I will say that ever since my Facebook account got shut down and getting everyone onto the other accounts I have and stuff yeah. like that, it's been – I am now finally finding time to do anything, which is why I'm yeah. here finally after Absolutely. six or seven months of meaning to do this. Let's let's segue into your company real quick. Sure. So let's break down for the audience what your company can do for the listener. Okay. So as far as the core competencies of what my three marketing companies do, our objective is to understand what you perceive to be your ideal customer bases, what makes them tick, what makes them think about a buying decision, and what actually makes them have that buying decision take place. So all of my three companies, they effectively do the same thing, just at different scales based off of what each client base can actually give us, right? So we have Ascension, which I've started and have been running for a little over 10 years at this point. Then about two years ago, we started CMO to go where we're working with four to six uh, million plus dollar a month brands at any given point in time. 
very intensive. They require a very specialized team for each because their needs are very different. Then you have on the other end of the spectrum, on the lower tier, dirtcheapads.co, which we've started in an effort to recycle leads that weren't qualified for our mid-level service. We're what was now our mid-level service, right? That being said, because it's smaller budget, it's either people that have been burned by a lot of agencies in the past, which is a really big problem in this space and in every space, especially now with the kind of squeeze the economy is putting on people, every consumer at every level, whether it be for a corporate consumer buying business-related goods or services or a consumer buying goods or services for themselves or their families, people are being way more discerning with where they spend their money because they have less of it. Yeah. When you have finite resources, you make decisions based off of how far those finite resources are going to get you. That's just the way it is. So over this little over a decade that I've been doing this, about the last four and a half, five years, we've really focused on honing in on a system that pretty much any industry can benefit from. And we call it our three simple steps to scale, and I'll run through it briefly. But step one, craft an offer so good people would feel stupid saying no to it. And that formulates based off of knowing the consumer psychology behind the audience that you're trying to influence and also understanding what the value propositions in that marketplace already are, right? So like say for instance, Jimmy's hot dog stand is giving you two hot dogs for five bucks and then you have sheets that's two hot dogs for a dollar. Same quality hot dog, who are you going to go with? Whichever one I'm closest to. That's true. What if that? What if you're equidistant between the two? It's the qual- I'm going to pick the quality right now, but when I was poorer, I, w- I would have picked the uh, cheaper one. Absolutely. So there's different factors that influence that, but at the end of the day, same quality, equal distance. Okay, same no- quality, I'm going to go with the cheaper. Absolutely. Now, throw in other variables like the quality, how far away you are from it, the brand recognition, that type of stuff, right? Yeah. You're going to go with whichever one you trust more. Yes. Yeah. And you're going to learn about how much you can trust it, bless you, Thank after you. the fact, right? Yes. So the first step is crafting an offer so good that you gain and grasp their attention. Yeah. And you can do that, like I said, by understanding the consumer psychology that drives them to even consider making a purchase decision and then also having a very irresistible offer. Learn that from our good uh, mentor. Not that I don't think either of us have ever met him, but Alex Hormozzi. Hopefully. Um, $100 million offers is a great book. If you so are in good. business, please go so buy that good. book. Make him rich because he it's, deserves it's, it. It's down there. Yeah, I, I think I brought it with me. It's either in my backpack yeah. or my duffel bag. But um, that's step one, just having a good offer by understanding those two facets. Once you know the offer is gaining traction, you need to understand where the unnecessary friction is in the purchase process once you get them from the advertisement to where they can actually cash in on that offer. So say, for instance, it's an e-commerce product. We'll go back to that hair oil example, right? Yeah. You get them in because you have a really good offer for this product, and you've already told them that you understand their issue, and as a result, you're making them that offer based off of fixing that problem for them Mm -hmm. easily. Once you get to the website, you want to see other people that have had the same problem that have now had it solved by your product. So you want to see reviews, testimonials, case studies, things like that that help support the idea to these new consumers that they're not the guinea pig. Because especially right now, with limited resources for a lot of people and very discerning buyers, no one is going to take the risk of being a guinea pig whenever Mm -hmm. they have not a lot to lose. Yes. Right? So you need to have things that build trust. You need to have reinforcement of the offer. So the same thing that you said in your advertisements needs to be wherever they can take action on it. Mm -hmm. That's just absolutely a mandatory thing because otherwise you're just misleading people and you're wasting your money trying to convert people on a premise that they can't actually convert on. Yeah. 
You also need to make sure that the way that you've stylized everything is conversion friendly. You want very good, clean product photos. You want to make sure that there's nothing kind of left outstanding that subconsciously or consciously... The least amount of friction to purchase. Absolutely. The whole point of step two is to remove all of the unnecessary friction of the purchase process. Yeah. The third and final step, once you've increased your conversion rate, increased your average order value, increased your return on ad spend decrease your customer acquisition cost and decrease the amount of time that it takes for someone to click the offer, get to where they can transact on it and get out, then it's just a factor of scaling until you hit your next big bottleneck. So like for product-based businesses, after going through this once, you typically run out of inventory pretty quick. Uh, And then once you solve that problem, the next thing tends to be customer service and fulfillment because you're producing more orders, you're going to have more customer service inquiries or claims, returns, whatever. And as a result, you need to be able to handle that. If it's a service-based business, it's either a fulfillment issue where like, okay, you're getting so many leads that you don't have enough salespeople to transact on them in a timely manner. Or alternatively, say for instance, it's like uh, someone who does gutters, right? Yeah. You might have an uh, issue waiting on inventory to actually do the job or something like that. Yep. So there's factors that are in your control and out of your control, but we effectively try and systematize every business that works with us so that we can create a as close to passive cash flow source for them. Fire. If you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, I would love to 10x my money, <laughs> but you didn't understand all of that. Break that down to very simply, how would you like to spend, invest a fraction of your money to generate a bunch of leads that you don't have, that you weren't going to get anyways, to make a bunch more money? Positioning's massively important. So effectively, it's just positioning yourself in your marketplace with a very good, compelling reason as to why people should choose you over a competitor and then follow through on what you promised. That's really it. But we take a much more data-driven approach to it because we can't be emotional in our decision-making. Business is a function of logic and numbers, and throwing emotion into it purely destroys that machine because you need to operate based off of what the data states, not a sensation or a feeling. That's how marketing works, is it's driven off of feeling, sensations, emotions, logic, and numbers. Yeah, that's true. But as a function of business, the business is not a human being. No. The business does not make buying decisions. The humans within it do. So that is effectively kind of the the core point there. But ultimately, you know, we're very data-driven. We only let the numbers dictate what we should do because that is the diagnostic tool for us. Yeah. Now, what's your future vision, just in general? Five, ten years, where do you see yourself? You know, that's a really good question because I think to myself in quarters and not so much years, and this is something that has raised a lot of questions within my personal life, within my business life, and, you know, pretty much everywhere up and down that spectrum. I myself, over the next five years, at that point I'll be 30 or somewhere around 30. By that point of my life, I would have liked to understood how many people I have positively impacted as a friend, as a professional, and as someone that people can count on. And at that point, in understanding in which of those areas I have been the most impactful, I would like to double down on that. But I think only time can accurately tell what that would be. As far as business is concerned, of course, I want to help more people. Um, At this point, we have over... I want to say over 680 different businesses or clients served over the last 10 years. Let's go. I want to see that hit 1,000, and I think as far as just totally distinctly separate businesses, I'll be there next year. Yeah. I would like to be at at least 2,500 
by that by the end of that five year period. But again, I don't know what's going on in the world, and I don't know how things would impact that. So I'm just trying to be a little more conservative in my approach. But as far as like intrinsic things, I think it's instrumentally important to understand what makes you tick as a person, what makes you valuable within your family, and what makes you inspirational to those that have gone through the same issues and struggles that you have that need the direction that they're not so fortunate to have. Mm -hmm. And that's where I want to try and put my core of my focus. I want to understand how I can be a better brother, a better son, a better boyfriend, or maybe at some point down the road, a husband. I want to understand how I can be the best professional in my space with what I do. And at this point, I already mentor around it's a hair over 1900 people in a group setting that are digital marketers and I've helped a little over 220 225 people on uh, one-on-one through my own personal mentorships and that's great I want to help more of those people but at the end of the day for me it's more a function of you know how I can be the best person possible and I think each one of those facets will make me more well-rounded Yes. Because whether it be the people that I coach, the people that I directly serve, or the people that I have foundational or uh, effectively foundational relationships for life with, those are the three things I know I will have forever because I at least have had the experience, I have the skill set, and I have the ties. Mm. But beyond that, I think it's kind of difficult to formulate material goals. I mean, I've had 14 cars in the last two years. I'm kind of capped out on how many cars I feel like is worth having (laughs) in a short 24, almost 25 years of life. You got to get a jet. That's something I've toyed with as far as setting a goal. I think that... It's a good goal because I'm like, holy fuck. Well, the problem is like the cars and stuff are easy. So like the 911 I just bought... Yeah, it's not not a LaFerrari. It's not a multi-million dollar car or whatever. But as far as cars I've driven, that is the undeniably best vehicle I've ever owned. And the reason they being... smooth. It's, it does everything perfectly. And the reason being, and this is something that everyone can take a lesson from, the reason the 911 is the best-selling sports car of all time is because they have constantly improved on the same foundation that it was built on in the first place. Yep. It was 70... I think at this point, 72 years of product refinement. Meanwhile, everyone else was trying to reinvent the wheel. That's why Porsches hold their value longer. Yeah. Because it's a constantly perfected platform. They IPO'd today. Porsche released a stock today. It is the second highest valued German IPO ever. Or wow. European IPO. Wow. What is it per, per share? I want to say it was $80 this morning. I think it's about 100 now. How many shares did you buy? I didn't buy any, but they released 911 wow. million shares as a as oh. a play on the 911. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's insane. As we wrap up, we're about an hour and a half in. What is your favorite Jeez. movie? <laughs> well, <laughs> most I, sophisticated question. I, I would be remiss to say that uh, the Fast and Furious hasn't played uh, a bit of a instrumental role no, in my love for cars. You can't say that simple ass answer. I know. Uh, I like a lot of the James Bond movies. Personally speaking, I like the suspense. I like the the different dynamics that those offer. The, did you like the newest 007 movie? Uh, I believe that one was ah, fuck Spec. No, not Spectre. It's the one where he dies. Yeah. Yeah, I. I liked the movie. I didn't know he died at the end. I was wasn't that fucking about that. horrible. I know they technically didn't show him dying though. See, that was my thought too, but I don't think they're making another one. He is old. 
well, it's not about just a factor of he being old. I think that there aren't any more books because they, they were all based off of a book series. Oh, for real? So, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so James Bond was a— You didn't, you didn't read the last book to know? I didn't read any of the books, yeah, was, to be I fair. I just knew that I they were based no on books. books either. Right. So keeping that in mind, I, that caught me a little bit off guard, but all of those last, I think it was like five or six James Bonds with uh, Daniel Craig have been great. I like the older ones, too. I like the... It's gonna. This is gonna sound dumb, but I kind of like the cheesy spy aspect of it. Yeah. Where it's like I, I got to turn every corner and go like fucking this. Yeah. Um, uh, what else? I you, like, like, you like Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise? Kind of similar. Never was a big Tom Cruise fan. I did He's really fucking nuts, but I like him in Top Gun. I didn't watch the new one. I've seen the original. I'm excited to get the opportunity to watch the new one. They all die. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes I wish they did. Uh, but I just invite people on and movie spoil. We should make a, a mini podcast where we just <laughs> ask people what movies they want to see and then spoil them. <laughs> Mine as well. I mean, as far as... I like, That would be hilarious. How many fights would break out? Dumb movies are good, too. I like all the jackass movies. I've always Dumb and Dumbers. Dumb and Dumbers have been good... I like, as a kid, I really liked, like, Cheaper by the Dozen movies and shit like that. I liked those, yeah. I haven't seen those in years. Um, I'm a big fan of Clifford, Big Red Dog. They <laughs> came out with that new Clifford movie. I didn't watch it, though. Never, never seen it. Yeah. What about favorite restaurant? Do you have a favorite place? I think we're both foodies. Oh, yes. So if there's two things I spend my money on, it's food and cars. Yeah. That's undeniably just where the bulk of it used to be. Gonna, I was going to say, I think I've wrecked almost half as many cars as you've you've owned. I was going to say, you were, you were talking about getting that Lamborghini within the next year or two, and uh, I was going to say, don't put it around a pole this time. But uh, It's like a tradition for me. I'm going to have to. Yeah, it's like putting the star on the top of the Christmas tree. I'm going to have to drive with like a racer, hel- racer helmet or something. I have to. If you want one, let me know. Yes. Um, but yeah, as far as foods go, I like, I love steakhouses. Um, I think. I'm going to look up this Lambo while you're talking about your favorite restaurant. Because I, I think it. there's an off road Lamborghini there. There's a new one that is based off of the Huracan that's an off road. Yeah, is it the Lamborghini Stowe? The STO is the most track-focused Lamborghini Huracan model. I forget. I saw the renders for it, and they actually released it, which I was surprised about. But, yeah, it has, like, a off-road suspension that's, like, uh, yeah, dude, the ride height's up, like, two and a half, three inches. I can see this thing. It's crazy. I mean, you can't really get a full glimpse, but... I love the. I would love to drive one of those up to Seven Springs. Somebody was telling me, like, if I, like this is what I should get because I'm so nuts. The Storado. Yeah. V10-powered supercar that isn't afraid to get dirty. Uh, that suits you to a T if I've Perfect. ever heard it. Yes. But, yeah, as far as, like, steakhouses and stuff, I really like um, Eddie V's and Eddie Merlot's uh, in Pittsburgh. I like the Brazilian steakhouses like Fogo de Chao and uh, Texas de Brazil, albeit those all predominantly are chains, if I'm not mistaken. Been to Napa Prime once or twice. Yes. Napa Prime's not bad. I do like their place. Uh, you got to get the A5 Wagyu, though. I feel like the way you said it, you didn't try the A5. I didn't try it, but that at that point in time, I don't think they had it. Oh, okay. It was yeah. like several years okay, ago. Okay, yeah. No, they didn't. They, it, was a, it was a more, in the last few years, they brought that on. Okay. Uh, there was a steakhouse in Aruba that I really used to love called El Gaucho. And, um, Is that the coolest place you've been? Aruba? Mm-hmm. As far as beach places, I would say I, I like that the most. The other beach places I've been to that I've really liked was Viña del Mar and uh, Santo Domingo, where my grandma lives right mm. now in Chile. She has a condo on the beach and on a golf course Do they there. speak Spanish in Chile? Yes, okay. they speak Spanish in I Chile. I know Portuguese sometimes all over that area. Portuguese is, that just Brazil? is Brazil and Portugal predominantly. I, there might be a couple other small countries that speak Portuguese, but I, those are the two off the top of my head. 
As far as places I've loved to travel to that weren't beachy, I love Austria, Vienna specifically. I could mm. live in Vienna. They have Vienna sausages there? That's where they're from. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Um, but otherwise, Germany I really liked spending time in. I've gone through England a couple times getting connecting flights through Heathrow. Have you ever done an Oktoberfest in Germany? Uh, no, but Oktoberfest is going on right now, and I wish I did. I'd been to the Christmas markets, which is like the other thing Germany's yeah. really famous for, and I was there in 20... 2018 and that was a really awesome experience we went to prague uh in the czech republic we went to vienna we were all across southern germany i've been to switzerland once uh, i don't feel like i got to see enough of switzerland to really yeah. appreciate it yeah uh swiss alps yeah back to the food though fuck anything with like red meat chicken cheese bread oh god uh yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a, uh, I'm a purist and I appreciate quality. So like everything, whenever I go to a restaurant, when I try it for the first time, I get it as plain as can be to really see what the quality is. Mm. Because it, I know I can judge a restaurant based off of the quality. When you come back, we'll have to go to Maple Nash. Yes. You've been to Maple Nash, I would imagine. I actually have not. It's so good. Yeah, it's good. It's over. It, I, I, I don't know if it's overpriced in correspondence with the value of like. So what, what's a good steak good. cost? Every time I go there, I spend like two grand. So I, I don't know. And I go with a few people. So I probably go with like four, yeah. you know, four people or so. So you're so, probably looking at least $400. $100 a steak. Easy. Yeah. Easy, 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 mm. easy. Um, but it, it's it's solid. You know what I mean? The A5 is good. I, 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 I love a tender, tender steak. So mm -hmm. I usually go with a Wagyu. Okay. So then how do you order your steak? Medium rare. Good boy. Yeah, I'm not a... Not a not a fuck up. I don't I don't like the boot leather eaters. No That's a problem I have with my girlfriend. Her entire family, I think, with the exception of her dad and mom, have to get steak well done. No, yeah, we can't be friends. No, you can't you can't ruin a steak. No, and for it it's to be tender, it has to not be that cooked. Yeah, there's nutrients in in the blood as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to go liver king on everybody, but I would. <laughs> I don't care. You know, I, I've I've eaten the wagyu raw just right in front of people. They're like the, the wagyu cubes. I'll eat I'll eat I'll eat one raw. So that I don't care is pure enough to where you can do that. But if you were to like eat raw ground meat, what about Liver King? We'll get him on here. He'll start eating nuts and shit. <laughs> He'll just sit raw, up here. Yeah, fucking crisscross applesauce yeah, on the coffee this. table. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm sure that there's merit to it because I know I've, that there's a lot to be said raw for the, chicken. That you shouldn't do. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either until I've, like, watched, but I don't, like, see their night experience of, like, that's does true. it stay down? Yeah, that's a good question. But as far as, like, eggs raw and whatever, you can easily do that. That's yeah. not a problem. But as far as, like, raw flesh and meat being exposed to elements and f ambient air, that's a really good way to get diseases. So, like, Wagyu, in many cases, is very well cared yeah. for it's usually vacuum sealed until it's cooked and even then if there's any lag time between it's like vacuum sealed since birth they literally they keep that sucker and do you know how they make that beef don't they keep it in just a smushed enclosure so they they might have changed it since i've learned about this but it used to be that they would bind all of their uh, i guess legs together so they would be hung upside down and they would be fed nothing but barley and beer oh wow or maybe not barley, but it, like raw wheat or barley, something yeah. like that, and beer. And mm -hmm. that is why they're so tender, because their muscle tissues are constantly breaking down from the time of birth. So good. I feel bad for those cows. I do not feel bad for how good it tastes. Yeah. That's a, that's a totally different 
issue yes. if you were to stack them up one against each other. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. would love to take like a vegan girl on a date there. <laughs> <laughs> I, my brother's girlfriend's a vegetarian and uh, I forget what holiday this was last year, but uh, her grandma or her aunt or something made chicken pot pies and she said that there was no chicken in it and my brother's girlfriend ate it and she was, I think she's still pissed about it up to this point. Wow. Yeah, because she's hilarious. like, this tastes really good. Yeah, there's chicken. This in there. vegetarian girl was trying to flirt with me and tell me she was gonna make me some chicken fried rice, and I was like, with what? She was like, Im- imitation chicken. I was like, what the fuck did you just say? I'm black. You're not making me no imitation chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Right? I want to end with this question. I love this question. I want to ask it more. What's the who's the coolest person you've met uh, so far up until this point in your life? Oh fuck, that's such a loaded question. Right? Somebody's gonna be pissed. <sighs> Coolest person ever. Does this have to be someone who's well known or just someone? It can be whoever, dude. Yeah, it could be your grandpa. All right. Um, hmm. That's a really tough question. Fuck. I mean, there there have been a lot of very instrumental people in giving me the mindset shifts and the tools and thought processes you need to be. And I say this as humbly as possible, someone like me, because being me comes with a fair amount of problems, too. I don't yeah. want to say that my life is all sunshine and rainbows. Dog, if you're going to make a million dollars, you're going to deal with 2,500 problems every day. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's a constant stream of putting out fires. Like whenever I came in, that's what you said you were doing yep. uh, earlier today. So it's like one of those things where I think my parents fundamentally created me. That's obviously indisputable, unless there's something that I don't know about. But they have both collectively been hyper-instrumental in teaching me what it's like to be an adult before I was an adult. Mm. And I I would say that at least 60% of my success has come from them treating me like an adult before I even was one. See, I tell people that. I'm like, when I have kids, I'm... right. Day one, you're going to be treated like why, a Spartan. Why not be real in a real world? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? I take it to an extreme. I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting my kids every, so day one. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, throw them on the mat. Yeah, I'm like, I, th- I think of like how my, you know, there was a brief period of time my dad was in my life, and he was aggressive as fuck, very direct, but I attribute a lot of my success to how real he was. Grit. And it, just the grit, and, and some of it was you know, maybe borderline abusive, you know, but... Fucking borderline. Yeah, you can be on this side of the fence. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I, I don't know. It, it. Uh, but then again, I see individuals like you, where it's like, uh, were you, were you spanked at all, or just? I was. Fuck. As a kid, my parents had somewhat differing philosophies. My dad and you turned out great. So that just that's yes. an, it shows there if, needs to be a balance. Exactly. And, and I think it shows that you know it's like you don't have to you know physically hold children accountable mm-hmm. to raise a successful independent child yeah. into becoming a, a successful independent adult adult so i think it takes a high degree of self-awareness though because like i look at my brother and i raised by the same two parents same household effectively our childhoods were largely the same the difference yeah. was he was more into lacrosse i was more into soccer yeah. right for him he went the traditional route college get a corporate job, that sort of thing. For me, I knew from a really young age, because I was hyper self-aware at that point in time, that I had a lot of understanding of what I didn't want out of life and how to avoid it. Yes. Whereas he was always more a little stubborn and a little bit more set with his way or the highway. Whereas for myself, I was a little more willing to just 
be a sponge. Yeah. And that I think is massively important at a young age to be told to do. Because if you're constantly blocking out other perspectives, other opinions, and other yeah. points of view, you, you leave yourself, yourself with up. yours. I'm a firm believer that everyone, when you're born, starts out like a flat sheet of paper in your head. And every time you get a new perspective, you get another fold. And at some point, you end up with something that crudely looks like a ball so that you're well-rounded. Yes. Keep adding perspective. And I, I know we're going super long, so I'll, I'll close on this point. My parents, 60% of who I am today, I have to attribute to them, and I'm massively thankful for it. The other 40%, I think, has come from the people who have either intentionally blessed me with unconditional love and people that bless me with unconditional hate. Yeah. Because I think that... Both it, are needed. Absolutely, because you don't get pressure without resistance. Yeah. And pressure pushes outwards, resistance pushes inwards, and the pressure was always greater than the resistance for me. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that. Where can people find you? You can predominantly find me on Instagram. Good luck finding me on Facebook. My Instagrams are at S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-O-M-M-E-R and at Steve Runs Ads. Uh, those are my two Instagrams for the moment. I love when I ask people where to find people and they'll just say their crazy name. They'll be like, Hasbula's about it. And I'm like, good luck. Yeah, I'm good luck. I don't even correct people to spell it anymore. I'm like... Do you want to, I used to be like, do you want to spell it? Because no one on here, unless we like find your at, put it on, like mm -hmm. graphically edit it in there. It's like, what do you, you think people are going to spell that? You, you know Good what I mean? Luck. Good luck. I can barely spell Wednesday, yeah. let alone that shit. Yeah. So yeah, those, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my email is at, or not at, what the fuck am I saying? <laughs> First initial last name. So S-K-O-M-M-E-R at ascensiondigital.org. A-S-C-E-N-S-I-O-N-D-I-G-I-T-A-L.org, not .com, .org. That is my uh, work email. If you have any questions about what I do, booking a call to talk about what I do, whether or not you maybe want to be mentored by me or have my team and I do done-for-you services for you or your business, that's probably the best place to reach me if you can't get a hold of me via DM. And I am trying to be a little more active on YouTube, which I will share the links on my socials. So at least start there. Let's go. Make sure you guys shoot my boy a follow. This was dope. This was a great episode. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm happy that we finally had the chance to do this. Yes. I know I've been trying to get out here since February and we're already in September. I can't September. wait to do, do another one in a couple of years and see where we are. Absolutely. I want to like make a documentary. So I want to do... I want to do like five episodes over the course of 10 or 15 years. It's a very long-term fucking play. Obviously, yeah. You know what I mean? But that's, that's how you have to think as a business owner. You know what I mean? Absolutely. 10, 15 years. So, and then I'm going to sell the documentary back to you for a million dollars. At that point, I would like to hand you that pocket change. Yes. Let's go. All right. Peace out, guys. Thank you. Tune in to the next episode. Hopefully. <laughs> Thanks, brother.